Welcome to Free Talk Live. Freetalklive.com is the website. 1-800-excuse uh, me, 1-855-453 is the number to call if you would like to weigh in with your thoughts on anything that we discussed this evening. Free Talk Live is a show where we take your calls and talk to you about whatever's on your mind. So feel free to call and bring up anything. It's Stephanie here with you tonight. And Julia. And uh, Julia, thanks for being here with me. We have taken over the studio because, uh, well, Mark has decided to go on his uh, umpteenth vacation of this year. He's been I on know. a lot of vacation. Is he in Florida? Yes. He is visiting his family who is uh, snowbirding, I think. Yes. So uh, we hope he's having a good trip. Maybe he's listening and maybe he'll even call in. You never know what will happen on the air tonight. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to talk about lots of different things. We just got back from the Liberty Forum. Well, actually, I just got back. I don't, I don't think you made it, right, Julia? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, I mean, and that's fine. Uh, you had a lot of, you're a busy person. You had a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, I had to do art homework. You mentioned that. <laughs> I think that is something that we, we may get into a little bit tonight, actually. Um, because you had some interesting experiences with uh, sort of the education world and how you were kind of forced to take this art class, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so so we may be talking about sort of a, uh, well, a, a faux pas with a nude statue in New York City <laughs> I wanted to discuss. But we actually do have a call on the line. I think we've got uh, Frank in New York City who uh, wants to talk to us about something. And uh, let's put him on the air. Frank, uh, he wants to talk about the military. Frank, are you with us? Frank, in New York. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, Frank. What's on your mind tonight? Well, I was uh, just uh, doing a bit of uh, reading and research over the weekend, especially right now what's going on with uh, uh, the U.S. foreign policy uh, in Syria and uh, with Iran. Yeah, and, and the politicians very, seem to be... To, yeah, they seem to be beating the drums for war with both Syria and Iran, right? They are. And also, uh, our Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, called the Russians and the Chinese despicable after their Ouch. vote in the Security Council not supporting uh, uh, military action against uh, Syria. So it's getting very interesting, and it's showing really on a very base level how corrupt the United States is. I never. Well, that just seems like the 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 the, uh, the, the uh, despicable thing really just seems like an intimidation tactic, don't you think? It's like no, it actually it actually shows stupidity and the lack of diplomacy that Hillary Clinton doesn't have. You know, to be a Secretary of State in the past, mm -hmm. one had to understand the history of the United States, the history of international law, diplomacy. There are certain things that diplomats representing countries don't do or say. And what it shows is really how base and how corrupt the United States is right now. We're behaving as Nazi Germany did, with wars of illegal preemption. And well, we maybe the, the government is behaving, I mean, just to, just to keep an eye on the language, Frank, it, I think I wouldn't include myself in that we. No, right? no, I wouldn't either. But, but what I mean is our government, sure. our government. Okay. Uh, you know, and we have to realize history's perspective. The United States has not won a war since the Second World War. Uh, not We certainly did not win Korea. That's actually still going on where we have sort of a truce, and we've had a truce for over 50, almost 50 years. Yeah. So in a sense, uh, we certainly didn't win Vietnam. We destroyed many, many millions of Southeast Asians and many, many Americans, and our corporations profited handsomely by that war. 
uh, let's face it, we have not won a war anywhere. And if we go to war with Russia and China, if we or Israel attack Iran, Russia and China have security agreements with Iran. They will retaliate in kind, which means that if we're going to use our, our, our micro-nuke bunker buster bombs to attack Iran and its nuclear facilities that are legal under international law and legal under the U.N. atomic uh, jurisdiction, then they will retaliate against us in like kind, which means... It'll be a disaster. We'll be, we'll be ground zero here in New York. This will be the yeah. first city that will be hit. And we have to realize that Russia maintains nuclear submarines 600 miles off the Pacific and Atlantic coast. And we would be toast within 10 minutes, maybe five minutes. And I think our government has yeah, to, I don't think you're really has exaggerating to realize there. how close we are to nuclear war. And we have to realize, too, that we're not going to be the government elite and the financial elite in the bunkers, you know, that are, that are you know, placed in the United States and elsewhere. We're going to be on the surface. We're going to feel the wrath. Sure. of our government stupidity when China and Russia retaliate against us. And also, they'll be retaliating against Israel. I think Israel has six minutes to exist, and their missile shield isn't perfect yet. So it's time maybe for regime change in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, and maybe we have to get Benny Netanyahu out of there, and maybe we have to get Kadima uh, and Likud out and put in you know, a party that represents the 78% of the Israeli citizens that want peace with the Palestinians. But Frank, isn't isn't that just, I mean, to, to say that we should go into another country and create res, regime change, isn't that the same? It's wrong. It's wrong. It's, it, it's against the principles of the United States, our domestic law. It's against treaty law, and it's against international law. And it violates the Constitution of the United States. Therefore, that's an illegal act. And what's happening with Iran right now is we're forcing them, we are creating an act of war with a supposed blockade, with uh, cutting off their financial, um, their financial flows to their country in Europe, in the United States, uh, and elsewhere. These are acts of war. Under international law, Iran has every right to defend itself, and it's time for the United States to be called on the table with Israel and the United Kingdom and NATO and bring them to trial in The Hague for international war crimes and crimes against international law and violating the inherent rights of the individuals that the U.N. guarantees. And that's really all I wanted to say tonight. And There you, know, you go, what, Frank. You seem very knowledgeable on this. I, I'm thank all you. for peace, and I, and I thank you for... I'm for peace as well. Yeah. yeah. And we have to beat our, our uh, swords into plowshares, and we have to realize that... You know, the Iranians and the Syrians and the Israelis and the Palestinians and the Chinese and the Koreans were all of the same species, and they are our brothers and sisters. And it's time to forget about this corporate fascistic war economy that is ruining the earth and destroying innocent people in the process and realize that maybe we have a greater purpose to serve in this world. Thank you. There you go, Frank. Thanks a lot for the call tonight. I appreciate your your words. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he was on fire. I just yeah. let him go. <laughs> but you know, I I I even heard you know Rick Santorum has been saying stuff like that we should be a. And here I go saying we again. I think I it's really important to be careful about that word. He's saying that you know the U.S. government should be assassinating uh, Iranian scientists and stuff like that, and and that uh, you know all, all these. Uh, really nasty things, just trying to incite uh, some kind of war. 
with Iran. You have to wonder, I mean, what kind of a person, how do you go to bed at night? Yeah, advocating for the killing of so many different people, yeah. Uh, I, I suppose it's exactly as Frank said, that when you think of others as not human beings or not like me, um, it's it's easier to wreak massive destruction and havoc on them, right? Uh, it, but if you can empathize with them, I know this sounds really corny. A lot of people will hear this and say, oh, there she goes talking about empathy again. But, you know, if you think of someone else as a human being, no matter where they live in the world or what color they are, uh, it's really hard to do things like just drop bombs on them in, in their cities. I do not understand it. But it must, I mean, you you just must have to be that kind of a person. There's just those people in the world, right? Because it I, seems to be a common characteristic of most politicians. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I mean, there are some people who say that a lot of politicians and a lot of these people who are really out there, like strongly beating the war drums, um, have, have had like really traumatic childhoods and like suffered a lot of abuse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I heard somewhere that... uh um, like when John McCain was running for the presidential run in 2008, uh, I, I had heard somewhere that when he was a kid, his parents used to beat him like so severely that he would pass out. And so he would start like holding his breath so that he would pass out sooner. And then, you know, one time they told him like, don't do that or else we'll punish you. And he did it. And it, he woke up and he was like in a bathtub full of ice or something. And of course, all the torture that he encountered in the Oh my gosh. Vietnam War. Yeah, it, just horrible, sadistic stuff. This is uh, Free Talk Live. We're coming back with more in just a moment. If you want to call and weigh in with your thoughts on war or anything else that's on your mind, 855-450-3733 is the number. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Where do you want to go today? It's the 1,000 Places Travel Minute with Patricia Schultz, renowned travel expert and author of the number one New York Times bestseller, 1,000 Places to See Before You Die, with one more place to add to your traveler's life list. Italy's Amalfi Coast is one of my 1,000 places to see before you die. The stunningly beautiful Amalfi Drive is a 30-mile stretch of hairpin curves that unfurls between Amalfi and Sorrento in southern Italy. One of those towns is tiny, picturesque Amalfi, Once the heart of a powerful maritime republic as early as the 9th century, a hint of the east shows up in its Duomo di Sant'Andrea, simply called Il Duomo. Other places that beg you to linger are Ravello, perched a thousand feet above Amalfi and aptly described as the place where poets go to die. The hazy outline of Mount Vesuvius dominates the view from clifftop Sorrento, favored among 19th century British travelers for its mild winters. For more tips and information on the very best places to visit on your travels, please visit Patricia Schultz at 1000places.com. Do you know over 6 million people a year visit the Eiffel Tower? What you may not know is that just around the corner is a hidden cafe with the best croissants in Paris. When you travel with Trafalgar, you'll travel with an insider who will show you must-see sites and share unique experiences. So call 1-866-544-4434 today for a free brochure or visit us at Trafalgar.com. See the world from the inside with Trafalgar. This is Free Talk Live. Welcome back to the show. Our number is 855-450-3733, where you can call and talk to us about anything that's on your mind. Just like Frank did in the last segment, he uh, started off a conversation about um, sort of about the military. It's kind of a depressing subject, isn't it, it Julia? It is. It is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, 
If you go to uh, listen.freetalklive.com, we've got all kinds of stuff there for you, all kinds of ways to get the show. Uh, we do those, uh, the show seven days a week. I'm kind of filling in for Mark tonight, who is usually with me on Sunday nights, and uh, and Julia's here with me. But uh, you can go to uh, listen.freetalklive.com and find out how to hear the show on uh, the radio, satellite, through the webcam, the listen lines, and through the live stream. So check that out. It's listen.freetalklive.com. And uh, so, Julia, there's been <laughs> something also kind of depressing, kind of disturbing. I hope this isn't going to create a trend for tonight's uh, news stories that we're going to discuss, but... Depressing uh, and disturbing. Yeah. (laughs) But this definitely fits both of those uh, descriptions. There's been a man who's been arrested because his four-year-old daughter drew a picture that the school didn't like. And I guess this is what happens when you send your kids to government school. Uh, but me- It's becoming more and more apparent that you sh- just should not do it. It's crazy to send your kids to government school at this point in time. Mm-hmm. It just gets worse and worse, and there's more and more crazy stories like this coming out. Yeah, and uh, it, especially with the whole implementation of these zero-tolerance policies, it sounds like this is something that might have been along those lines, like, you know, if we see a picture of a gun, which is what happened, this little girl drew a picture of a gun, which... She could have seen on TV. She could have seen anywhere. It doesn't mean that, you know, her parents have guns and they're doing unsafe or. And if her parents do have guns, so what? I know a lot of adults that own guns. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the implication is that um, kids should never see guns and shouldn't know what they are. But I mean, they're all over TV. They're all over movies and books. And I would say that uh, the opposite is true, that that if you're somebody who is into guns, that it, probably the earlier your kid knows about guns, the mm-hmm. better, which I realize is a pretty controversial thing to say and probably would make some parents out there angry. Mm-hmm. But I knew a man who who used to go hunting with his son and the you know the son was probably like 12 years old and he knew how to use a gun properly. And, and I know that if this kid came across a gun... You know what I mean? Like in a situation, he would be able to take the bullets out and and, Mm -hmm. And handle it safely. Exactly. And so to me, knowledge is power, basically. And yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, if you ask a parent about um, about like poisons or medicines, I mean, I think they would probably agree that their kids shouldn't like be unaware what those are. They should be told, right. Hey, these are things that we keep in the top cabinets because they're dangerous for kids. And so don't go in there, you know? Yeah. I mean, it just seems like if a kid comes across a gun, kids like to pick things up. They like to play with things. They don't always understand. Mm -hmm. And if a kid came across a gun and didn't know anything about guns, he could really hurt himself accidentally. Sure. Whereas if a kid knew something about guns, and I'm not saying every, you know, every kid out there should know all about guns, but there are certainly families who are very into guns. And everybody I know who's into guns is really into gun safety. They take it very seriously. Yes, absolutely. So, And I'm sure there are people out there who aren't so scrupulous about gun safety. Uh, but I mean, that's an issue of education to me. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like we should ban all guns because some people might not be careful with them. There are lots of things that some people aren't careful with. Cars. Not everybody's a super careful driver, but should we ban cars for everybody? Right. You know, uh, it's it's one of those situations. So let me read you a little bit from this article. It's from uh, the Sun News Network in uh, .ca. So I guess this was uh, maybe in Canada uh, where guns are, are completely illegal, right? Except, are they? Except for the cops. Yeah, I think there's a gun ban in Canada. Uh, but let's read on this article and see see what it is. Uh, headline, Dad Arrested Over Daughter's Gun Drawing. 
Police arrested a Kitchener, Ontario father outside his daughter's school because the four-year-old drew a picture of him holding a gun. Jesse Sansone told the Record newspaper that he was in shock when he was arrested Wednesday and taken to a police station for questioning over the drawing. He was also strip-searched. <laughs> wow. It's, Why? It's what does that have to do with the issue at all? If the issue was valid, Maybe why just strip to search? punish him? I don't know. I mean, I, I can't really figure out this logic. Yeah, that, that kind of uh, uh, shocks me. He said, this is completely insane. My daughter drew a gun on a piece of paper at school. Officials told the newspaper the move was necessary to ensure that there were no guns accessible by children in the family's home. They also said comments by Sansone's daughter, uh, Neva, which looks like heaven spelled backwards, like one of those trendy <laughs> girls' names. That they, yeah. <laughs> uh, that the man holding the gun in the picture was her dad and, quote, he uses it to shoot bad guys and monsters was concerning. So she she drew a picture of her dad with a gun and set and told the teacher he uses it to shoot bad guys and monsters. So I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to think there were monsters under my bed. And what my mom would do was pretend that she had a little can of spray, monster spray. Right. And she would spray the monster spray under my bed. And I still remember that. And now I wonder if he just said, "Okay, I have like a love gun and I'm shooting the monsters under your bed. Or if he didn't say anything about a gun, but she just made this story up in her head because she, you know what I mean? Because she sees movies where they use guns to shoot monsters. Yeah. Or video games or something. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, I don't understand. I don't think that's particularly concerning. I no. mean, it's not like she it's not like she drew a picture of him, you know, holding a gun to another person and saying, oh, yeah, my dad does this every day. You know, right. I mean, that's it's 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 a complete level about they've taken this to a, a completely absurd conclusion. Well, and I guess what some people would say is, you know, we got to watch out for kids with guns because of school shootings it is a four-year-old capable of committing a school shooting i, I don't think so yeah. so that's not it's not really a security concern as far as i can see mm-hmm. yeah police also searched sansone's home while he was in custody wow they gave it to him from every end i mean they they were really doing everything they possibly that's could scary think of. yeah very scary and i, I mean uh, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in the U.S. you have to have a warrant if you want to search somebody's home. Uh, I would think it's kind of similar, and I don't know how they were able to actually just go and do that. His wife and three children were taken to the police station, and the children were interviewed by Family and Children's Services. Sansone's wife, Stephanie Squires, told the newspaper no one told them why her husband had been arrested. He had absolutely no idea what this was even about. I just kept telling them, you're making a mistake. Several hours later, uh, Sansone was released without charges. So they really just shook him down and scared the living daylights out of him and his whole family. And they interviewed all of them uh, in, you know, probably in preparation to try to take the kids away. That's terrifying. Yeah. Imagine how that affects you if you're a four. Yeah. I mean, you probably blame yourself for it, right? Like kids tend to blame themselves for things that happen with their parents that they don't really understand. And so could you imagine being a four-year-old and your teacher tells you to draw a picture? So, okay, you draw a picture. And then next thing you know, they're arresting your dad. They're taking all your brothers and sisters into the police station and asking them if your parents are doing horrible things. You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't I don't like situations where they ask children things too, like interview children because children Sometimes can be they, so easily manipulated. Yes. Yeah, they can ask leading questions.
Uh, this is Free Talk Live. If you have any thoughts on this, maybe you have a story about a run-in with the Children and Family Services. You can call us at 855-450-FREE. This is Free Talk Live, and we've got more coming up. Fallen Angel Toys is a tasteful company for adult desires and fetish fantasy. Thousands of items, vibrators, literature, blindfolds, lubes, and more. Great for bachelorette parties or serious lifestylers. We're a family-owned business with new specials every week. Discreet packaging and shipping and safe, secure checkout through PayPal. Use code FDL at checkout for 25% off your first time. No minimum purchase required. That's FallenAngelToys.com. This is Free Talk Live. Welcome back to the show. So glad you've joined us tonight. I am Stephanie. And I'm Julia. And you can call us at 855-450-3733. Weigh in with whatever's on your mind. We've been talking about lots of interesting things tonight, news items, and basically whatever's on your mind. But if you want to change the subject, you're more than welcome to. One more time, 855-450-FREE. Julia, I've got an article here that I think will interest you because of something that you mentioned before the show is kind of going on in your life right now. Um, the headline is Kickstarter, which is a, an independent fundraising site uh, where you can go online and basically create an account and uh, raise money to start a project. And then you can offer your donors different levels of sponsorship in the project or other incentives or rewards like T-shirts or stuff like that. So Kickstarter expects to provide more funding to the arts than the National Endowment for the Arts, which is a big government agency that provides uh, funding for right. the arts. So, um, and I thought you'd be interested in this because right now you're taking an art class, you mentioned to me. I am. One of the reasons that Sadly, you... yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this is kind of one of those classes that's eh, required for the degree that you're studying for right now, but you don't have too much of an interest. You might not take it if, unless it was required. No, I right? would not ever. Yeah. I, like... <laughs> If you know, I think an art class where you were actually doing the art, you know, could be fun. So, a mm-hmm. painting class, a sculpting class, you know, if, where you're actually doing it. But I take mm. online courses and mm. it's art appreciation and history, and it's just so boring. Wow. If you don't appreciate art already, how are you supposed to like they're, they're going to teach you? Well, to? and it's not about <laughs> appreciating art, it's about appreciating the art that they want you to appreciate. I see. So it's only the uh, teacher-approved art. Right, which yeah. irritates me. You know, because I do appreciate some kinds of art. We were talking off the air, and, and I think that photography, mm-hmm. w- when done well, can be stunning. Yes, and it's not a crime. Right? Yes, it is not a crime. <laughs> According to Carlos Miller. But uh, these old paintings, I just can't get into them. I, I can recognize that there's talent involved in painting them, and I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. But they don't make me feel anything and they want me to talk about what I feel when I look at these paintings, and I don't feel anything. I feel irritated because yes. I, <laughs> I'm being asked to describe something that I don't have much uh, interest in. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is great because as it is now, um, lots of the modern art that's done, and, and I think this includes, like, not only art, but also, like, plays and stuff like that. Music, like theater, maybe? music, yeah. Um, any of the, the broad category of the arts, right? Right. Um, a lot of them get government grants, actually, to do their art. And uh, sometimes there are these big, like, political flaps. Like, I remember years ago, there was um, somebody who got funding from the National Endowment for the Arts who made a sculpture uh, that was 
I don't know what statement it was meant to make, but it was a tree with essentially like sex toys hanging from the tree, like like they were fruit or something. Right? That's interesting. Yeah. And I think it was a tree even in like a public park or something like that. And so this person had gotten funding from the National Endowment for the Arts to do that project. And some people hated it. I mean, you can imagine this put the religious conservatives yeah. in like a really big uproar, right? Right. Uh, because they don't want to walk around and see this tree with dildos on it, right? I mean, <laughs> it's kind of not uh, something they expect. And so, you know, there occasionally there are these um, dust ups about who gets funding from the National Endowment for the Arts. But I think essentially anyone can apply. However, this article here says that the National Endowment for the Arts is becoming obsolete, which I think is great because, you know, when you're forced to pay for something like you are through taxes and some of your tax money, probably a minuscule, tiny amount, goes to the National Endowment for the Arts, you can't shoot like you have no say over who it goes to. Right. You have no you know, input over what the person who gets that grant uses your money to create. It might be something that you would really like. And it might be something you wouldn't like. Like a tree of dildos. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or just a bad piece of art. A piece yeah. of art that you that you don't find uh, appealing or interesting or whatever. And art is a highly personal thing, right? Uh, people have different tastes, you know. They, they, they like different things. So uh, let me read you a little bit from this article from uh, idealab.talkingpointsmemo.com. So I guess this is a little sub blog even. Um, Kickstarter is having an amazing year, even by the standards of other white hot web startup companies and more is yet to come. One of the company's three co-founders, uh, Yancey Strickler, said that Kickstarter is on track to distribute over $150 million to its users' projects in 2012 or more than the entire fiscal year 2012 budget for the National Endowment of the Arts, NEA, which was $146 million. So it is probable Kickstarter will distribute more money this year than the NEA, uh, he said in a phone interview, and uh, we view that number and our relationship to it both in a good and a bad way. We'll find out what he thinks is good and bad about this in a moment, but we do have a call waiting patiently on the line. Uh, Daniel in Fargo, Minnesota, is uh, waiting on the line, listening on 970 AM. Uh, Daniel, are you with us? Yes, I am. I just wanted to make a comment about the, the young girl who drew the picture in school. Sure thing. Yeah. And, and uh, when I was growing up, we drew pictures of all sorts of things. We drew, I, I drew monsters and I drew super superheroes and, mm -hmm. and all these things. And they brought them in and questioned the children and questioned the parents and, and brought in child services or the equivalent, too. And I'm curious how that wasn't a bigger dresser on the child than a possible... Mm. Uh, sighting of a handgun, which was never found. It didn't sound like they found anything. Yeah, they, exactly. They were, worried about, they were worried about the traumatic impact on the children. I think being called under a light and investigated <laughs> for, for at four years old and, yeah. and telling, telling you can't do this, you can't express yourself, you can't have these feelings, you better not draw this again, you better not do this again. I think they ran into the big tree with Bilbo. <laughs> Thank you for the call, Daniel. I do appreciate Perfect. that. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with him that how traumatic is it for it to be uh, taken out of school, you know, and uh, interrogated at four years old? It sounds traumatic. Yeah. Awful. Uh, <laughs> for the whole family, too. Not even it's traumatic for those other kids because they all got questioned and they didn't draw pictures with guns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I guess... Um, what can we say? We completely agree with him, right? 
<laughs> if you have more thoughts on this, you can call us at 855-450-3733. That's 855-450-FREE. Uh, and this is Free Talk Live that you're listening to, of course. Um, so basically, the, the founder of Kickstarter, this private fundraising organization, says that he thinks it's both good and bad that they are growing larger than the National Endowment for the Arts. Um, and he says... Uh, Maybe there's a reason for the state to strongly support the arts. So he's he's actually expressing a little bit of maybe guilt or uh, remorse that his company is sort of taking over this funding. But I mean, what can he really do about it? it he he had an idea, right? He he created a platform for people to put their projects out there and sort of it's a very kind of free market mechanism of deciding which art projects get funded. You know, I've seen a lot of documentaries on Kickstarter that they're trying to raise money for. And uh, the ones that look really interesting or uh, appeal to particular people can easily get funding, you know, just from uh, p- the wisdom of the crowd, sort of people donating, coming together. Yeah, I've never heard of this. It's a website, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe they should advertise with Free Talk Live. But. Yes, maybe they should. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just kickstarter.com. And I mean, I've seen uh, n- not only uh, documentaries on there, but also things like, um, people who are trying, I, I saw someone who was trying to build an open source heart monitor and was trying to get funding for it on Kickstarter. And what he did was put up um, his prototype model and some of his preliminary data from testing it like on himself. And the reason he wanted to build this open source heart monitor was so people could have like a cheaper alternative um, for exercise and not only for that, but as like a, as like a medical device too. And he was using the um, Arduino platform, right, which is like this open source circuit board uh, type thing. I'm a little bit lagging. and I'm interested in tech, but I am i don't have all you're, the knowledge. You're no more <laughs> than me right now. <laughs> well, I know he was using Kickstarter to fund it, and I think that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, another use for Kickstarter could be to um, provide funding for projects that maybe are too controversial to get funding from uh, like the government because sometimes if the government like you know we've said in the past that there are these people get angry when they fund certain projects but sometimes they they hesitate to fund other projects because they think people will get angry about it or because they just don't like it maybe they don't like the political message so uh, should the government fund art give us a call 855-450-FREE that's 855-450-3733 it's free talk live On Free Talk Live, we talk about investing in gold and silver as a hedge against inflation, investment, and barter currency. We've teamed up with Midas Resources to offer you some great rates on some hand-picked gold and silver pieces. U.S. Eagles, British Sovereigns, 20 Francs, Lakota Nation Silver Rounds, Montana Silver Reserves, and Walking Liberty Halves. Call 877-857-9938 or go to gold.freetalklive.com. The shipping is the same for one as it is for 20, so try to get as many as you can all at once. Gold.freetalklive.com. You are listening to Free Talk Live. Freetalklive.com is the website where you can find lots of cool features like archives that go all the way back to 2006. That's a lot of archives. I don't even know if you start at this point. I'm not even sure if it would be humanly possible to go through all of them, but you could try over at archives.freetalklive.com. With you tonight, this is Stephanie. And Julia. And we are filling in for, well, usually I'm on Sunday nights, but I'm with Mark, who is on vacation right now, visiting his family. So we we hope he's having a good time and a safe flight. And uh, 
Julia, speaking of flights, <laughs> I wanted to uh, talk with you about another article that I saw today. Um, there has been a man kicked off a flight for refusing to stop vaporizing his electronic cigarette. <laughs> You know, the first time I saw one of these electronic cigarettes, it was in a a restaurant and uh-huh. the person brought bought it because they could use it inside a restaurant. Right. And uh, that's why a lot of people go for electronic cigarettes because uh you know, they're able to be used in places where conventional conventional cigarettes uh really you know, you really can't like a restaurant uh, right. that has a no smoking section. I mean, these things are, are basically nicotine delivery devices where uh, they take basically water vapor and a little bit of nicotine and sometimes some flavoring. And then you press a button and it has a little battery pack and it uh, it heats up the water vapor. It, it heats up the water, turns it into vapor, and then you inhale it and you get the nicotine. Um, so there's nothing being combusted. There's no uh, terrible smell. You know, there's no smoke that can irritate other people's lungs. They're really a pretty polite device, I would say, to use um, in front of people who may not like the smell of cigarette smoke or might be allergic to it or something like that. So I don't understand why they felt the need to stop everything and just kick this guy off the plane because he's smoking an electronic cigarette. Kick him off too? Not even off? Say, hey, could you not use that? Yeah, absolutely. That seems harsh. Um, I guess maybe they asked him and he refused, but with good reason. I mean, it seems like a kind of a mindless regulation. Like, yeah, I know there's no smoking cigarettes on planes. I get the reasons for that. I mean, it makes sense. It's a rule that that I would respect, even if I was a smoker, which I'm not. But I mean, with the e-cigarette, there's really no reason. And it seems like people just don't understand how the device works. And that's why they decided to ban it. And it's like, it's just a knee-jerk ban. It's, there's I no would say that it's not reason. even that they don't understand it. I feel that they just don't like smoking. And they, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't true. know if you saw, I want to say it was in Boston, and I'm not sure if they outright banned it, but they something came up. Either, either they banned it or they're talking about banning it. Yes, I believe I saw this too, actually. Uh, they, they banned the e-cigarette. They, they treat it exactly as conventional cigarettes right. in Boston. And those uh, have a smoking ban in restaurants and I think all public places. Yeah, I, I think that... Uh, this particular issue was about smoking or I guess vaping one of these on the patio. So that's even outside because wow. a lot of restaurants have patio policies of yeah. not smoking because it's nice to their customers. Mm-hmm. Well, this was on a patio and some guy got in trouble for it. And I just, I mean, I honestly think that it's just people don't like smoking wow. because smoking is really unpopular these days. It's going to set a bad example for the kids, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just this war on smokers, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yes, I get it. I, I'm a, you know, I'm in the medical field. I know smoking is bad yeah. for you. But, you know, e-cigarettes help people quit smoking. I mean, they they may not be perfectly healthy or they may be untested and we don't know, but I would bet you a dollar that they're healthier than combusting, you know, plant matter yeah. and lots of other chemicals and putting that into your lungs. So. Julia, we do have a call on the line. I think it's Vince in Indianapolis, and he wants to talk about Doomsday. Vince, are you with us? Hello, Stephanie and Julia. How are you ladies doing this evening? Wonderful, Super. Vince. Tell us but, what's on uh, your mind. Yeah, I, was, I know you've been talking about that e-cigarette. And I, I've seen a couple people around here. I know a couple people that have those. They don't bother people. 
Sure. They they smoke them outside in the patios. You know when you know when the weather's warm enough here in Indianapolis. But I mean they don't light it up in front of other people, especially in indoor places. But they haven't regulated it here. Yeah, and nor should they. I I think because especially if it's outside. I mean there regularly are people who smoke these things in the Free Talk Live studio. And I yeah. can't even tell no. most of the time when someone's sitting right next to me and puffing away on one of these. I and mean, Mark I, smokes it. I don't like cigarette smoke. And now, mm-hmm. you know, I won't, I wouldn't uh, call for the banning of it because I think it's up to the property owner to make those rules. Sure. But I don't like cigarette smoke. And I prefer being places that aren't filled with cigarette smoke. Yeah. Same so, here. And I don't notice it at all. Yeah, and I mean, even when I was, I remember when I was younger and there there wasn't this big push from a lot of these government workers and stuff like that to ban cigarettes in all places where anyone could be at any time. It seemed to me like there were enough places, like I wasn't going to bars and being offended because there was cigarette smoke there. You know, like I wasn't really going to bars much anyway, but it was like, if you don't want to smell cigarettes, there are lots of places you can go, even if there's no smoking ban. There are. Um, and you don't have a right to go anywhere you want and get what you want. I mean, I'm sorry, but, sure. you know, it's 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 this sort of thought that, well, I have a right to clean air, right? So if I go into a restaurant, it needs to be smoke-free for me. Yeah, well, I mean, what about air pollution? I mean, there's lots of... Uh, <laughs> it's It's funny that a lot of the people who advocate for smoking bans because you have a, quote, right to clean air... Yeah. I mean, the state grants the privilege to pollute to a lot of large companies. I mean, they they will sell them these permits to put out amounts of air pollution into the air, which creates smog and arguably contributes to asthma in kids and and adults. So, I mean, they're not it it seems like there are some conflicting ideas there. On one hand, it's like you you have the right to clean air, and so we're going to ban cigarettes. But, well, companies can can put out all this pollution. Vince, do you have any more thoughts on this? No, I don't. I just wanted to mention uh, what I was not talking about was the Doomsday Preppers because I saw a couple of shows, and there's these people that are really preparing. I mean, I live off the grid here where I live. Okay. As a matter of fact, my neighbor about a mile, about half a mile or so down the road, he's a Quaker, and they don't live off the grid. I've been that way for like 25 or 30 years now. Yeah, it. it this is an I interesting think- topic to me, Vince, because... On one hand, I think it's great to be prepared, you know, like, and there are lots of simple things you can do that in case a natural disaster strikes or in case, you know, there's, there is some kind of really bad economic collapse, you can have a little bit of a buffer or a a safety net that you create for yourself and your own family. But on the other hand, there are some people who I think get really obsessed with preparedness, right? And they're like constantly worrying about it and just waiting uh, for the big one to come down and and like uh, fearing it, you know? And it's like, I think the point of preparedness is so you won't have to worry about the big one coming down. So you are prepared for for anything and you can be freer, not so that you can be chained down by worrying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you ever seen... The show Six Feet Under. Yes, I, I watched the entire show. I Yeah, I watched it too, actually, pretty recently. But you remember then there was that husband who mm-hmm. all of a sudden went kind of crazy yes. worrying about this exact thing. And he found out that there was a bomb shelter in the house and he started sleeping down there. Yes. And I mean, eventually they had to take him away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe there was some underlying problem that was like right. causing him to seek that stuff out. But uh, but yeah, there definitely are even people in the liberty movement who seem to take it to 
yeah. a little bit of an extreme, you know, and it, it just does seem to me like to reiterate that the point of it is to feel freer, not to feel chained down by being prepared. Vince, any last thoughts? No, I just wanted to say I listened to the show last night, and they had a gentleman on, uh, he was a survivalist. Yeah. Uh, was that Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast? Yeah. I think- yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I heard his talk was um at Liberty Forum. I, I I didn't see it, but I heard it was really practical and it was like really focusing on like the things that you can do to not have to worry about it, which I liked. <laughs> yeah, they're practical things. I mean, I live out with my wife, her two sons, and my daughter. Mm-hmm. And, but we just, you know, we grow our own food. We get, you know, we do a lot of exchanging. Do you grow all of your own food or most of it? Most of it, I mean, we get the meat from another farmer and in the milk. And huh, but you don't have to... So when's the last time you went to a grocery store, for instance? Oh, about 20 years ago. Wow, that's I impressive. Know. Yeah. <laughs> you are really living off the land. Well, uh, well, I mean, but you know, the Quakers, this guy, he lived off the land. His family before him lived off the land. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they don't... You know, I'm not hooked up to the electrical grid or the natural gas grid or and you're doing just fine (laughs) vince thank you so much for the call it's interesting to hear about your experiences and uh we do have another call on the line but hopefully they'll hang with us through the break someone wants to talk about voluntarism and they have an interesting name (laughs) this is free talk live there's more coming up about voluntarism and whatever's on your mind at 855-450-FREE that's 855-450-3733 free talk live As a smoker, you know traditional cigarettes are unhealthy, and the taxes be the very least stealing your freedom to smoke. That's why the Vapor Station offers an assortment of electronic cigarette kits. Each rechargeable, refillable kit is an effective, affordable alternative to smoking. No combustion, no tar, no foul, lingering odors, and no smoke, secondhand or otherwise. Just inhale pure enjoyment and exhale vapor. Take a puff just about anywhere without getting hassled. Get your e-cigarette kit now at VaporStation.com. You are listening to Free Talk Live. Freetalklive.com is the website. And 855-450-FREE is the phone number where you can call in and talk about whatever is on your mind. This is uh, Stephanie with you tonight. And Julia. Filling in for Mark. He'll be back next week. And uh, Julia, I've got this really disturbing story. Did you know that uh, studying while Muslim is now probable cause in the U.S., in the police state of the U.S.? Wow. Uh, apparently, the NYPD has been spying on some Muslim students, but on Free Talk Live, you know, your calls are very important. So I, I think we'll go to Justice, who's been waiting on the phone lines very patiently in Siberia. <laughs> I don't know if he's really in Siberia, but Justice, are you with us? Hello. Hello, Hello Justice. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Hello, Stephanie. Hello, Julia. Nice to, nice to be on with you guys, finally. I've been listening to Free Talk Live for quite a while. Great. And uh, what did you want to discuss with us tonight? Well, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the discussion between the the the, the uh, it kind of the liberty crowd. Um, there seems to be a, a back and forth between like minarchism and voluntarianism. But um, but I wanted to comment on probable cause um, with Muslim students. Oh, I mean, sure. You, you know that 
you know we have to spy on them because they're 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 just they're just terrorists bombs waiting to go off right i mean yeah all of them got, apparently are are terrorists no of course not i mean <laughs> it's it's ridiculous as lumping all um white people into one group or all you know it's it's a very diverse group of people you know i i don't agree with any religion personally but uh in and justice you're breathing into the phone a little bit maybe uh adjust it if you could thank you that. no problem um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really just this in-group, out-group mentality, isn't it? When people think about Muslims and they've really sort of, Muslims and illegal immigrants, you know, since uh, 9-11 have really become this like scapegoat in the U.S. that people kind of blame all these problems on when it's, it's really not like maybe a few individuals were responsible for some acts of terrorism, right, uh, that happened on 9-11. And, uh, you know, <laughs> It's not a reason to stereotype anybody who has a certain religion or who has a certain color skin or who comes from a certain country. You know, we have to I think we have to think of people as individuals if we're going to make any progress on those things. I think you're right, largely. I mean, I think that I think that's correct. Part part of my perspective that actually led me to looking at the liberty movement um, again through through our good friend Ron Paul mm-hmm. Um like so many people, I've heard comment on that on, on the radio before. Sure, um, yeah. But other than that, one of the things that helped me come to a more liberty perspective is living overseas um, and and seeing, say, the Russian community here mm-hmm. blaming groups of people for the ills of society. Um, so you actually do live in in Siberia. Yeah, you, you guys always seem to be so, um, how to say, like, incredulous when someone calls in from, like, <laughs> India or South America or something. You're like, allegedly from Siberia. It's like, <laughs> well, it's it's great. I mean, I'm really happy to have you on, Justice. I just, for some reason, I thought it, it raised some red flags and I thought it might be a crank call because, you know, Siberia, I guess, is an area that I think of as... As as like you know, really low population, really cold, and maybe that's a stereotype. Maybe I should just not hold that belief anymore. But uh, but well, that's what I was is, thinking. It is really cold and it is really low population, um, but only only due to the large landmass. Like I'm sitting right downtown in the middle of a city of a million people. You know, so I mean, I see it's a pretty big pretty big city, but it's surrounded by you know thousands of square miles of nothing. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, that's interesting to know. Um, so, so yeah, you, you mentioned this thing about minarchists and voluntarists, and you actually said uh, voluntarianism, but it's a, a slight correct, correction, excuse me, it's voluntarism or voluntarism. Um, I think those, yeah, I think if you, if you Google those, they'll have um, some better results. And basically, it's, it's a philosophy uh, that all human actions, uh, interactions should be voluntary, right? Should be done on a consensual basis. Would you would you say that's how you define it, Julia? In one yeah, sentence, sounds accurate. Yeah, and uh, I think the biggest difference in the liberty community, you know, between people who might identify as minarchists or people who would like a small government, and uh, people who would I would call themselves voluntarists, is that voluntarists would want no government. They take it sort of one step further, and minarchists think that you know maybe a small government is more appropriate. Right. The question that I have really is. Um, I mean, do we have any historical precedents for voluntarist communities or, or like anarcho-capitalist type type societies mm-hmm. surviving um, in, in conjunction with with a society that's more centralized? I mean, because here's here's the thing that I've been thinking about. Okay. Um, it seems that government does everything 
less efficiently than the marketplace. I'll give you that. Um, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Except for one thing. It seems like governments make war with great efficiency. Um, <laughs> and, and that, and that is the, that's the question, you know, that I have. There's, if you're, if you're, like, let's say, I mean, Ian talks a lot about secession, you know, um, yeah. and, you know, all the power to you guys up there in New Hampshire, if you secede, that's great. But, um, but New Hampshire secedes, and then, and then let's say for some reason, you know, there's a police action that wants to take place against you. How do you, how do you defend yourself if everyone's just like, mm-hmm. the Russians have a saying that is, you know, my house is on the edge, which basically means, no matter what happens to those guys over there on the other side of town, my house is on the on the outskirts of town. So who cares? That kind of that kind of thought. Mm-hmm. And I think isn't that where we go to when 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 it's just completely like voluntary? Yeah. So I would think. Okay. First of all, you've you've asked a lot of different questions here, and they're they're all great questions. I'll try to you know hopefully address all of them as quickly as possible. And uh, Julia, feel free to jump in if you have mm-hmm. thoughts on this. Um, you know. The, the the scenario of like what if New Hampshire secedes and then there's some kind of attack on it like from some foreign government? Well, one thing that I think of is that if New Hampshire does manage to secede, I would think that one of the biggest things that it would need to to survive economically is like some strong trading relationships, right? And it tends to be the case historically that if if uh if people are trading with one another in different countries, they're way less likely to go to war with each other. And so that's kind of one thing that I think would, would help keep things peaceful. Um, another thing is that if New Hampshire does get to a point of something like seceding and breaking off from the U.S. or something like that, I mean, I think it's like it's still pretty far off into the future. It seems like a little unlikely scenario, but we can dream, right? Right. And if right. it does get to that point, I would like to think that the ideas of peace – and the ideas of liberty will have spread to the point where it's not like a bloody conflict and like, yeah, let us go or we're going to beat you up. It's 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 more of like a an evolution towards, OK, we're you know, New Hampshire is going to separate because we have differences of opinion or whatever. And it's a peaceful uh, letting go. It's not like a revolutionary uh, split. You know what I mean? I, I would yeah. think that if we let me interject. Sure. If I could, sorry, Julie. Just to let me interject here because this is this is important. I'm not. I, this is assuming this, this you know thought process, just a thought experiment that we're doing about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that the people inside of the society that decide to secede from whatever world government, place New Hampshire, whatever else, other place in the world, the people within that society, within that group, as much as we just stay in groups and grouping people together, but let's say those people inside that group, they understand the the principles and ideas of liberty, okay? I'm not worried about the people inside the group. I'm worried about people on the outside of the group, you know? The right, but don't you think those ideas it. would spread beyond just us, you know, beyond just New Hampshire? Like, if they can reach enough people in New Hampshire that New Hampshire is going to be seceding, haven't they reached enough people outside of New Hampshire that they'll let New Hampshire go? I mean, it just seems... Uh, what do you think, Julia? Uh, well... It, it secession is definitely a really complex topic. Yeah, and it's it's hard to talk about in only a few minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would think that 
New Hampshire would not be the first state to secede because there are actually strong, I guess, I wouldn't say strong, I mean the strongest secession. More active. Right. Yeah. Uh, movements in places like Alaska mm-hmm. and California and Vermont. Yes. And there really is an inactive movement for secession in New Hampshire. And like Stephanie said, I think mm-hmm. we're so far away from that. You know, yeah. I'm not sure. I can't speculate late about what I will see in my lifetime, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah, I, I'm optimistic I for the spread of peace. Just as hold your thoughts. I want to keep talking if you don't mind with you. Uh, hold the line, please. 855-450-FREE if you have thoughts on secession or anything else. This is Free Talk Live. We got more coming up. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. Are you looking for a concealed carry holster? Crossbreed Holsters is the home of the world-famous Super Tuck, the most comfortable concealed carry holster on the market today. Try one out and see how truly discreet and comfortable carrying concealed can be. And find out why we call it the ugliest holster you'll ever love. We are the standard others try to imitate. Get the original. Get your Super Tuck at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Again, that's CrossbreedHolsters.com. This is Free Talk Live. Stephanie here with you tonight. And Julia. And we thank you for tuning in. You can call us at 855-450-FREE if you have something you'd like to say or like to discuss with us, maybe is a better way to put it. (laughs) We like to have conversations. And uh, we've been talking with Justice in the past segment about uh, about voluntarism, about the the future of freedom in the world, I guess you could say. But I'd like to let you know real quick about the Erickson Council. The state owns the land, but they don't own the water. To be free today, you need a boat, and not just any boat, a life yacht. It's a stable catamaran as big as a house that purifies its own water, generates its own power, grows its own food, and has a shallow draft to be able to get a four-wheel drive or SUV ashore. With a life yacht, you can live free of nearly any government intrusion and have a seashore home anywhere in the world you can be involved for $1,000 and the commitment of as little as eight months. Visit ericssoncouncil.com, and that's E-R-I-C-S-S-O-N council.com. All right. I want to go back to the phones and continue the conversation uh, we've been having with Justice. Uh, Justice, are you still with us? Yes, Justice? Oh, great. Okay. So, you know, you had asked us a number of questions in the last segment. We only got to talk about one of those questions, which is kind of like what happens if New Hampshire secedes. But another thing that you mentioned that I, I hope you don't mind if we switch gears and try to address that is, uh, are there any, I think you asked if there are any historical precedents for uh, a voluntarist kind of society in the midst of other societies where there is a strong centralized government, right? Yeah, that's correct. Because like, um, and the reason why I ask this is because like when the founding fathers founded America, mm-hmm. or you know, founding fathers, quote unquote, they were hearkening back to like a republic can work because it kind of worked in Rome, so we can make it better, mm-hmm. and you know that kind of a that kind of a thought. So, yeah, and I mean, I yeah, the the founding fathers. I don't know. I mean, historically, uh, I don't think there has ever been a real voluntarist society because I don't know if people have ever had the ideas of liberty like so explicitly down on a large scale. And uh, I think that I think that one thing that really ties in to the level of peace in society is like how people treat children and, and how 
people are raised like from a very young age. And historically, the treatment of children in society has been uh, pretty brutal. Uh, women were really oppressed for a long time. They didn't get to choose who they married or anything like that. They didn't have very many uh, rights and didn't really do much outside of uh, raising children. And so there's been a lot of like not free things about the way that life was throughout a lot of history. And so I don't know if you could ever say that there has been a, a true uh, voluntary society. There have been some, I guess, like you mentioned, that were that were kind of smaller governments, right? Like the the uh, uh, the the Articles of Confederation, right? Um, right. But but I don't know. Um, I don't know if that really represents what you're talking about because they did uh, still have government. It was just a little bit different. And of course, it's grown and ballooned over the over the years till it's gotten as big as it is today. Um, but yeah, I don't know if if uh, we've ever really been there. Julia, do you have any thoughts on this? Well. My vision, I guess, for how I could see this potentially working, I always tell people when they ask about if for some reason my philosophy comes up mm-hmm. um, that I want you to have whatever it is that you want for yourself. So if you I think there are some people out there that really like government, you know, mm-hmm. they feel like they're they're getting what they I, I don't know. I can't I can't see it, but. They like it. I want you to have that government. I just don't want me to have that government. I don't want you to force it on me. So I kind of see things if we ever get to this point, or I should say when, to be a little more optimistic, Mm -hmm. um, breaking up into little communities kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could choose basically to live in the community that you wanted, and there could be varying varying levels of government if you chose that for yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the only example I can think of with private communities that I think has been successful is like some of the religious communities in Florida, for example. Some Christian guy bought up a huge piece of land oh, and that, that the built, town where they yeah, don't sell an entire town. The- <laughs> right. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's really a great concept because people can choose to live there. Sure. You know what I mean? And follow those rules. And that's great for them. So that's still subject to the. The government of Florida, I'm though, positive they are. Yeah, I'm positive they are. So, so they basically, the federal are just government choosing to subject themselves to extra rules. Extra rules, right? Wow. Yeah, but, I mean, basically, the federal government would have it has to go, right? Yeah, yeah. Justice. Yeah, but, but I, it seems to me like we kind of got that situation as is already. I mean, you can immigrate to any place you want in the world. I mean, well, yeah, it's sure. not that easy, though. That's the thing. I mean, immigrating anywhere is really difficult, as I'm sure you know if you've ever looked into coming to New Hampshire, right? <laughs> Well, absolutely. I mean, but really, especially for people like in the U.S. who have any kind of assets, immigrating almost anywhere else is not that hard. I mean, you just up and go. Um, Well, you don't just up and go. Yeah, there's a lot of legal hoops to jump through. I was, uh, when I was in high school, I wanted to move to Canada to go to college. And Mm -hmm. I was looking seriously into moving to Toronto to go to the University of Toronto. And Mm -hmm. it is a long and grueling process. Even to get a student visa? I think getting a student visa is probably easier, but there's still just so much wow. paperwork involved. And people and, think of Canada as less onerous than the U.S. also. Right, but you read that story, the gun story, and that yeah. was from Canada. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Justice, I, I did want to mention something really quick, and that is to say, like, you know, we, we were kind of saying that I don't really think there's ever been what I would envision as like a true voluntarist society. I agree. But but that's no reason to have a state, 
right? <laughs> I mean, that's no reason to, to have, you know, big oppressive governments that are holding people down just because uh, it, there hasn't been like a really good example of something that's functioned without one. I mean, I agree with that. I, I think that you're right. The, you know, just because there hasn't been a, an example of a, of a uh, true free society doesn't mean that, that that gives us reason to have this totalitarian overstructure. Sure. Except for this one thing. It's a little bit like the pacifists who say, if only everyone would just, you know, not use guns, then the world would be a better place. Isn't it a little bit like that? Because the state is a structure... You know, and on its least common denominator, a structure of defense of a group of people. I mean, and sure, that that rolls over into usually that those people who who have the biggest artillery end up becoming the the, the masters, the master class. But isn't that kind of the the, the primitive, the most primitive function of government? I mean, well, I, I don't know because if somebody dominates like a a large chunk of it, you have to maintain that dominance, right? If you're going to dominate. A group of people, you have to have something in place to keep that going, right? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I mean, there there are costs to doing that as well. You know, you can't just take over the whole world and then, I mean, how are you going to get the resources to maintain that? How are you going to keep in power? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like the the power structure wouldn't be that uh, easy to maintain. No, the power structure is definitely not easy to maintain. That's why you have taxes. That's why you have the state and the problems that are related to Well, the I state. think today a lot of it is enforced um, by other people. You know what I mean? Because people will get angry when their neighbor like doesn't pay taxes and say, well, I had to do it, so they should too, right? Yeah. So a lot of it is, is kind of horizontal enforcement. Uh, Justice, well, it's been a fascinating conversation. We're out of time, but feel free to call us back on this some other time. Really appreciate the conversation. Uh, this is Free Talk Live got some more calls on the line and we're going to talk about the studying well muslim thing this is uh free talk live 855-450 free is our number and there's more coming up this is free talk live welcome back to the show i am stephanie and i'm julia and we are taking your calls about whatever is on your mind. 855-450-3733 is the number. You can also watch us uh, doing the show live at cam.freetalklive.com. Uh, freetalklive.com is the website of the show, and there's all kinds of great features over there, including uh, including the cam, just, just for your uh, enjoyment. So uh, head over there. And we're going straight to the phones. Nick uh, in Illinois is on the line. And I believe Nick wanted to continue the conversation about voluntarism. Nick, are you with us? Yes. Hi. Um, so Justice mentioned something that I want to zero in on. He said uh, you, you were talking about what it would be like to have all these different voluntarist communities and people move between communities to find the one that has the rules they want. And he made the case of, uh, well, how is that any different from what we have now? Um, your rebuttal to that, as I recall, was that it's not easy enough to move between places, but I don't think that cuts to the heart of the issue. What I think voluntarism is, is uh, it's actually not really so much focused on the NAP as it is focused on a particular set and, and of... Sorry, products. just to interrupt you, Nick, NAP, for our listeners who aren't familiar, is the non-aggression principle. It's basically the idea that it's not okay to initiate force or fraud on somebody else. 
defines the voluntarist perspective on what is aggression is according to a particular idea of property rights. And because there are a lot of statists who also believe that what they believe in is the non-aggression principle, except that what we see as state aggression, they see as rightful action. And the reason why is because the authority, the rule, uh, the difference between statism and voluntarism primarily regards how one derives rules-making authority. That's what I would say. So, for instance, state- for example, like a, someone might think that, oh, well, it's not theft, it's taxes, right? Right. <laughs> Whereas right. maybe and- a libertarian would say, well, no, it's theft. It's just who's who's taking the money by force? Is it a, is it a robber or is it somebody um, in a suit making official rules and telling you you must give your money or we're going to take your house eventually. Yes. Well, the reason why statists, uh, the reason why the state claims that authority is essentially because of, uh, well, it's, it all boils down to the principle of eminent domain, which comes from uh, like a, a 19th century treatise by a French philosopher, I believe, with, who, who described that states ultimately derive their authority from a popular belief that the state owns all the property and people in its domain. It certainly and, seems to still think that it does own all the yes. property and people in its domain. Yes. And where voluntarists uh, disagree with that is that we believe in equal rights, that no one has authority over another person. And so the ultimate threat that you can use against someone who disobeys the rule on, the rules on your property is simply expulsion. In a, in a true voluntarist society, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what set of rules you live under, it would not be legitimate for someone to throw you in a cage against your will for possession of a forbidden plant matter. The most they would be able to do is expel you. And that, so you might say, well, in that case, how is that all that different? What if we lived in a, in a giant uh, voluntarist community called America with all the same rules we have today, except that they're enforced with expulsion instead of imprisonment? Well, the major difference there is that when somebody is uh, expelled, they still have all their property. They're no longer doing business with you. You can't collect rent from people who aren't there, and that brings market dynamics to the process of the of of the rule making on that landmass. Okay, because they have an incentive to not kick everybody out. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. You have to because it establishes you know an equal rights relationship. It establishes a. a a customer relationship instead of a subject relationship, because as it is right now, mm-hmm. the government claims the authority to do pretty much whatever they can get away with to you. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is why, you know, when, whenever people say, well, hang on, don't we already have anarchy because you can move to whatever landmass you want to and live under any set of rules that are out there, that's, that's the rebuttal. Yeah, I don't think I haven't heard too many people out there saying, "Don't we already live in a free society?" or "Don't we have anarchy?" As you put it, um, I have. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. I have found that most of the common arguments that I have heard that libertarians like to use don't really work, at least in my area, because I, I think that there is a major breakdown of communication, and I hear it every night on Free Talk Live between the libertarian perspective and the status perspective, because I guess most of us are so distant from it now that we kind of wonder, how did we ever think that way? Sure. But I live with, you know, I I live with statists, including one uh, espoused socialist. So well, Nick, do you think, then, speaking of communication breakdown, I mean, do you think that maybe it even sets 
a little bit of an adversarial relationship up to to, to refer to uh, people who endorse government as statists? Do you think that's sort of a derogatory term? Um, well, I don't really use it around those people, but I do think that a lot of a lot of the type of argumentation used by libertarians does create an adversarial relationship, especially yeah, when you absolutely. especially when you you know telling a person that they're being aggressive when they just don't understand it. I don't think it's very. Uh, it's not very uh, uh, effective. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, and it right. It doesn't create a, a connection with them, right? They it, and, it NBC sets you meaning nonviolent communication. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think I think you're right about that. That if you if you tell another person that oh you're you're being immoral, you're being aggressive, you're doing something wrong, that doesn't exactly set them up to be ready to hear you, right? To be ready to relate to what you're saying. They just they're thinking about trying to defend themselves. Well, and, this is actually one of my biggest critiques of a lot of the activism that I see in Keene mm-hmm. is, you know, I understand that these local politicians that they, you know, they are aggressing against people. They're OK with hurting people, but they don't see that. And that's kind of the norm. You know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like going after them and saying, don't aggress against us. Don't aggress. You're aggressing. You're hurting. They don't, they don't understand. understand that. And that just makes them reject it more yeah i think i think there is a serious problem with something that as nick mentioned in in the this idea of nonviolent communication is called enemy imagery and that means you think of someone else as an enemy not as a human being who's like you in some ways at least because i mean we're all human beings we all have certain things in common but if you think of uh as somebody of somebody as an opponent or oh they're a statist you know they're they're one of those evil bureaucrats right that's another term that yeah. i think i <laughs> i think sets up kind I, of a- i kind of cringe a, a little every time i hear ian you know talk derisively about people and say things like attorney genital yeah that's i actually, actually made an, an old joke um yeah and it was because I, I know the origin of that yes, joke. I accidentally said that on the air, and it was totally I ac- an accident. I actually made a Freudian, made a Freudian slip the other day on my show and said that <laughs> show pork therapy, and said that by accident, just because I'd heard it said so many times, it just kind of uh, came out. But, but yeah, I know I I agree with you, Nick, about sort of the the idea of name calling, and you know they the people in government, I think, have names for libertarians too. They'll call them free staters. They'll call them. Uh, those crazy whatever you know they'll call them crazy they'll call them fringe maybe even like domestic terrorists or something like that i don't know what they say but they definitely have i think both sides sort of have this enemy imagery of each other i agree um regarding tactics that work uh, yeah. there are only two uh, as opposed to like moralizing against people mm-hmm. i have uh I know of two success stories. One is my own, and one is a friend of mine. In my own case, I was convinced through uh, ar- arguments from effect. I was I was shown through the Ron Paul website, and then from there, Mises.org, mm-hmm. how how free market economics actually makes for a better society, and why government programs don't work. That was what convinced me and set me on the road that I'm on. Okay. But then the way I presented the moral argument to a friend of mine, who I believe I have won over, was, uh, you know, I told him I'm a voluntarist. He said, well, what's that? And I chose my words very carefully. And what I, what I believe I said ultimately was, I think that we should all have equal rights. And then I explained what that meant. And I used that to make the argument that taxation is theft. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that you found that to be 
an effective way to get your friend thinking on the, the same path that you are? Yeah, he said, oh, I never thought of it that way. It was yeah. not done in a confrontational way. There was- Here on Free Talk Live, we've been pretty excited about the Bitcoin. It's a decentralized, free market digital currency. You can learn more about it at weusecoins.com. But if you already have some Bitcoins and you'd like to spend them, you can spend them at spendbitcoins.com. When you spend Bitcoins on Amazon via spendbitcoins.com, Free Talk Live gets a cut. Or if you're an Australian trying to figure out how to buy Bitcoins, you can buy them with cash at au.spendbitcoins.com. Once again, that's spendbitcoins.com. This is Free Talk Live. As we close out the second hour of the show, you can call us at 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE. That's our number where you can bring up anything that's on your mind. We've had some very interesting discussions tonight, haven't we, Julia? Yes. Yeah. Always like it. Our callers are intelligent. They have a lot to say. And the topics vary, so it's never a boring show. And uh, I'd like to let you know about manventureoutpost.com. If you're looking for camping, hunting, or shooting gear... Uh, knives, ammunition, scopes, binoculars, laser sights, tactical flashlights, anything with tactical in it's got to be good, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fish finders and boating equipment, manventureoutpost.com is family owned and they are members in good standing of the Better Business Bureau. Always a good thing. Uh, Some of their prices are so low that they can't even be mentioned on the air. You can get an additional 5% off with coupon code FTL. And uh, so you should go to manventureoutpost.com for all your camping hunting and shooting needs. (laughs) So, okay, Julia, we finally cleared the phone lines, but uh, of course you're welcome to call in 855-450-FREE if you have thoughts. I really wanted to talk with you about this article. Uh, It's, it's called studying while Muslim and it's actually from a, you know, mainstream news. It's from CNN.com. It's a fairly lengthy article, but let me just read you kind of the, the, uh, the gist of it. Basically the New York police department, the NYPD, has, uh, well, the Associated Press basically uh, obtained some documents somehow uh, from the NYPD saying that they have been engaged in weekly surveillance of American Muslim college groups at 16 uh, schools across the Northeast, including New York University, Yale, Rutgers, and the University of Pennsylvania. And the NYPD has neither commented on the number of years that this has been happening or if it's still happening. As part of the secret program, the NYPD generated weekly reports about the Muslim student groups at these schools. They even set up an undercover, quote, safe house near the campus of Rutgers University to spy on the students. Ironically, that operation ended when the building superintendent became suspicious and called the police, thinking the NYPD officers were part of a terrorist cell. So they got <laughs> they got uh, the cops called on them because somebody called them terrorists. And it's just this crazy pink finger pointing exercise. You're a terrorist. No, you're a terrorist. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you believe that there have been 16 schools and this is the NYPD. So the New York Police Department, they are a city police department. And they are going all the way to the University of Pennsylvania, which isn't even in New York. So that's way outside of their jurisdiction yeah. to spy on Muslim student groups. You know what I think is most sad about this is that there's probably a larger percentage than I would like to acknowledge that think that this is okay. Yes, I completely agree with and you. And I think that's really sad. Yeah. You know, I hear 
I so you, on Facebook, you know, sometimes you've got a kind of a weird combination of friends, right? Because you've got some relatives. Sometimes, mm. like I have relatives on there, and yes. I have this cousin <laughs> who often just spews this like hatred for a lot of different people, but um, Muslim particularly, and I just it's so wow. offensive. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do you do when that comes up? Um, Well, she's younger than me, Mm -hmm. probably like six years. So I have no problem putting her in her place. Well, (laughs) I'm going to say something if you're going to, you know, I mean, that's if my grandma posted it at that. My grandma's old. Mm -hmm. She's probably not going to change. There's no reason to get into it with grandma. Right. But Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's anything that you could do to get her, the cousin to to like think of them as people yeah basically you know like how would you like she also gets into mexicans and she lives in california so you know people in california go well you don't know what the mexican problems like around here (laughs) actually i have a great mexican restaurant near my house and they don't bother me at all (laughs) no and i lived in florida so i know about hispanic culture i mean miami Mm -hmm. is largely Cuban and yeah. Mexican communities. So to mm-hmm. just say, oh, well, you live in New Hampshire where there's only white people. So you don't understand what these people are like. You know, yeah. it's just so short sighted. And so what are some of the specific? Are there any specific complaints like um, besides they're they're there and they're brown? <laughs> yeah, it'll be th- it'll be things like, oh, this creepy Mexican guy was like looking at me. You know, and it's it's like, well, why not just say creepy guy? Yeah, <laughs> there's creepy white guys out there. Plenty. And there was some sort of, this may have been in the news. I, I don't really follow mainstream news, so I'm kind of behind sometimes on events unless I happen to see them online. I, I just don't mm-hmm. know about them. But some sort of defacing of something happened mm-hmm. and nobody knows who it was, but she was blaming Muslims. Uh, and all I could think was, you know, you don't know that. So yeah. why would you well, just say ex- that? That just shows how they become a scapegoat. Yeah. And they get blamed for all the problems. I mean, there are people out there who blame uh, diseases, the, the prevalence yeah. of certain diseases on Mexicans and, and immigrants and things like that. That's just sad. Yeah, I know. And and there are people out there who, you know, any... Any ill in society that they don't like. Well, oh, it must be the fault of the Mexicans or mm-hmm. it must be the fault of the, the Jews or the blacks or the gays or whoever they don't like. I mean, I'm just so sick of it. But anything people don't like, they, they'll pin it on certain groups. I used to work with this guy who was super racist and he always used to say the only thing that you need to know. The only Spanish words that you need to know in America are where's the welfare office. And I always Ugh, found it super... Like there super, are no English-speaking people on welfare. I would say that if you were to do a poll of the people on welfare, there's a large percentage of white people on welfare. So, yeah. I mean, really. So, so I think if you strip away all the name-calling and all the, all the you know, anger directed at one racial group, what he's probably saying is like, he has a complaint about his money being taken and he works hard yeah. and, and given to somebody else who maybe doesn't work as hard as him or he thinks there's like abuse going on in the welfare system. And that's and a legitimate complaint for sure. I can relate to that, right? Can't mm-hmm. you? But I mean, saying it like as as though it's the fault of, you know, pinning it on right. the Mexicans and saying it in this sort of taunting way. Uh, I don't think is very helpful. No, know? not at all. And, and in fact, I would say that there's probably, I mean, 
me- the reason when Mexicans come over here, they work very hard. Mm-hmm. And anytime I've ever worked with foreigners in general, they're way harder workers than Americans that I most Americans that I know. Mm-hmm. You know, because they come from very poor backgrounds and they did not have the opportunity to make the money that they make here. Sure. Well, so, some people think they can come to America to get a better life, but that's, right. that's Isn't changing. That sad? <laughs> yeah, because it's it's becoming harder and harder to right. not only to get employed because now they're doing these like background checks on people, right? Aren't there some like Dunkin' Donuts was the first one to like voluntarily test out this uh, e-verify? That's what it was. It was some database where they would look up the person's social security number uh, and verify that they were a U.S. citizen. And I think it was Dunkin' Donuts who voluntarily really? opted into this before they were mandated to do it um, in in all their locations. And some some people, you know, really didn't like that. So yeah. they boycotted them. We I actually worked uh, when I worked at Panera in Florida. We had an illegal immigrant working, mm-hmm. and, um, and he got taken out. He got deported. Oh, that's that's and too bad. Wow. he was such a great worker that everybody at work, all the managers, you know, they all said, "Man, I would have let him live in you know the closet over there so he could stay." Wow, like. Just because he was such a great worker. That's so unfortunate. I know. And yeah, it's really held over their heads, isn't it? I mean, if you have a job where your boss, if he doesn't like what you do or she doesn't like what you do, can threaten to call INS or on you or yeah. ICE or whatever it's called on you, mm-hmm. then they really have an extra amount of power over you that they wouldn't have normally. And so it really sets up a situation that can be very uncomfortable for the person who's working there. And they still want to come here. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess it must be. I guess it must be one of those myths. You know, like so, sort of like people in the U.S. are sometimes told about college. You know, like yeah. if, you, if you go to college, you'll you'll definitely get a decent job. If as long as you get an education, your foot's going to be in the door, and that's your ticket to a good job. Well, that's becoming increasingly not true. Yeah, especially when people spend so much money on a college education, and they. You know, they end up not being able to get a job. Maybe they're like an art history major or whatever. Yeah. And Any they, of the liberal arts degrees are pretty much, I would call them useless. I mean, sociology, <laughs> sociology, anthropology, unless you want to be a sociology teacher. Yeah. Not I, a lot of jobs out there. Not a lot of jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not so practical or like, or the things that you learned, you could learn by alternative right. means and not spend so much money yeah. on it. Yeah. I mean, sociology, I loved that class. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was very mm. interesting. Yeah, but fascinating. That doesn't mean that you should make a degree out of it. Sure. I mean, I, I really enjoy reading about um, gender issues. Yeah. But I never studied women's studies or gender studies in college. And if I had, it probably wouldn't have given me the return on my investment, no, shall we say? Definitely not. <laughs> but I still think it's fascinating. So there are lots of alternatives to learning. It's Free Talk Live. You can call us at 855-450-3733. What do you think of the NYPD spying on Muslim students? You can listen to Free Talk Live on the radio via podcast, the webcam, and our live streams at freetalklive.com. Not enough options? Now you can listen to Free Talk Live from any phone, anywhere. Add this number to your phone, 760-569-7752. It's a long-distance call, so make sure you're familiar with your phone's calling plan. The Free Talk Live listen lines are airing the latest episode of Free Talk Live 24 hours a day, including our live shows. Call 760-569-7752. That's 760-569-7752.
You are listening to Free Talk Live. FreeTalkLive.com is the website where you can get all kinds of great features and 855-450-FREE is the call-in number. You can call in and talk to us about whatever's on your mind. And I'm Stephanie. And I'm Julia. Yep, and we're having a very varied and fascinating show this evening. It's flying by. I can't believe we're already launching into hour three. We had started uh, last hour talking about this very disturbing story wherein the uh, NYPD, the New York Police Department, has actually been going to 16 different schools, many of them not even in New York, not even in the city or the state, and uh, spying on the Muslim student groups there which I find really disturbing. I mean, yeah. are they going to start spying on the libertarian groups next? <laughs> or the, uh, I don't know, any the young Republicans, the, the Christians, the, the gay student alliance? I mean, what are they going to come up with next? Yeah, this is sad. Yeah, it seems like anyone who's been deemed a, a threat is, uh, is, is really uh, made into a target. Um, it says in this article, uh, uh, the author says, Dress white, make your flight. Dress brown, never leave town is uh, the the mantra that he has been uh, uh, saying about about like how, the way that Muslims are treated on yeah. um, airplanes. And it's really sad that there's so much profiling going on. I um, when I went to Canada, I used to like to go to Canada a lot when I was younger and I used to go every year to Toronto and um I actually went to a music festival and we got a ride with some people we didn't know. We just talked to them online mm-hmm. and they were all from Pakistan. They were Im- immigrants from mm-hmm. Pakistan and they were talking about how, you know, they moved to Toronto because they wanted to go to school and they had actually wanted to move to America, but they felt that they, because of the color of their skin, weren't really welcome Oh my! In America, wow, that's you know it's getting really bad. <clears throat> it's it was so disheartening. Wow, you know to hear I, that. I would like nothing more than to have more diversity, not just racial diversity, but like of ideas of yeah of everything. Um, in New Hampshire, yeah, it's something like ninety seven or ninety nine percent Caucasian here. Well, and, he uh, was telling us that he went to pick up a friend from the airport, and it it was in New York. Mm-hmm. And he got detained at the border for six hours oh. for being brown. Wow. Yeah, that's so. a traumatic experience. And he was never charged with anything. No. Yeah. That's usually how it goes. Let's go to the calls. I think we have somebody who wants to comment on this. Mike in New Mexico would like to talk about the NYPD, as I understand it. Mike, are you with us? Um, thank you for taking my call, ladies. Sure uh, thing. I, I just wanted to say, this is my view, and, and I know uh, you spoke in the previous hour about some of the labels we uh, put on people, but I, I just have to say, I, I just view it as Mayor Bloomberg's totalitarianism. Uh, mm. he, he has tried to rule the city, basically, for the last uh, eight or nine years now with an iron fist, and mm. it's like he's trying to expand his reach uh with this uh, basically trying to expand the police state that he has created in New York uh, out into other states. Uh, yeah, that and, was and one of the most shocking things to me, Mike, is that they were going to Pennsylvania, they were going to New Jersey. I mean, they're just so totally overreaching here. And, you know, I wonder how Pennsylvania feels about that. Yeah, exactly. I, I bet those other police departments don't like people stepping on their toes as they probably yeah. perceive it. And, you know, Mike, I, I wonder what you said about Mayor Bloomberg makes total sense because some of those policies have just been horrendously uh, totalitarian, like the stop and frisk 
searches, which really target racial minorities and the um, the drug arrests in New York City and uh, all kind of the stopping people on the subways, the the uh, searches, egregious violations of civil liberties. But do you think that people are are essentially just kind of that he's just doing what people are kind of demanding in a way like that people are so kind of supportive of this because they're afraid of another attack or that they're in some way kind of cheering this on? Oh, I, I think the people are cheering it on because they, they he is feeding off of their fears. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, I live right on the Mexican border, uh, which is always, uh, you, you hear in the news media all the time how porous it is, and we've got uh, Hamas and Hezbollah operating in Mexico and, mm-hmm. and, and and all of these different things. And I think it's just a, a fear tactic. I mean, it's so much so that uh, my own father, who uh, lives in Virginia, he is dreadfully afraid of uh, of uh, Muslims crossing the the uh, Mexican border unabated. And I wow. keep trying to remind him why. You know, on September 11th, they they all came across from Canada or on student visas. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, why are you letting this fear, uh, insane fear, just rule your life? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I think that's the, the the problem. I mean, I understand. Uh, I was actually uh, in Washington D.C. on September the 11th. I, I witnessed firsthand wow. the Pentagon. Mm. And yes, at first I was a very hateful person towards Muslims, or uh, you know, uh, just through my own fear and ignorance. And then as a, mm. I got to thinking more about it, I said, I can't live my life this way. Yeah, good uh, for you, Mike. I'm so glad you came to that conclusion. As I think some people are yeah. really still in that stage of just like really desiring to blame somebody uh, for this these attacks and and for the fear that they've been experiencing, which is really f- stoked and fomented by the government. Well, yes, and, and and Dr. Paul, as much as the as the mainstream media wants to laugh at his foreign policy, mm-hmm. I mean, when it all gets said and done, we've been in over a thirty year proxy war uh, against Iran. Because they threw off our shackles. Mm. They didn't like us uh, controlling their lives. And I think when you're dealing with an inferior power, which uh, uh, the the Middle East nations are, they're going to resort to the tactics that they can use to try to throw off the shackles of the oppressor. And Mm. this country, especially since World War II, has been just an oppressor of other nations. And yeah. we think it's going to last forever, but eventually the masses are going to overthrow us. And if they don't overthrow us in a military sense, we'll be overthrown economically through our own stupidity. Sure. Yeah, Mike, I, I agree with you. I love what you have to say. Something's got to give. <laughs> and I'm glad you're out there listening. Thanks so much for the call tonight, Mike. Uh, yeah, just some some things from this article about uh, studying while Muslim that I that I wanted to make sure that I read. The author opines, let's be brutally honest, if the NYPD were engaged in this type of widespread spying on any other religious, ethnic, or racial group, the criticism would be deafening. However, because the case involves Muslims, the silence is deafening. There is simply no public outcry and little media coverage. So, yeah, I think that's really sad. Yeah, it is sad. You can really see the bias against Muslims. Um, and, of, of course, we were also talking about this... Um, the civil liberties issues that were going on in um, in New York City, and I mentioned the the stop and frisk and the the uh, drug arrests, which primarily target minorities. Right. Uh, this article also says the issue of the NYPD profiling, profiling, excuse me, appears to go beyond Muslims. 
As the New York Civil Liberties Union recently reported, in 2011, the NYPD detained 684,330 New Yorkers for questioning. So, uh, you know, two-thirds of a million people. Of those stopped, 59% were black, 26% were Latino, and 9% were white. (laughs) To put this in perspective... Whites comprise 44% of New York City residents, but they make up only 9% of those stopped by the NYPD. But blacks, who comprise 25% of New Yorkers, represent 59% of those stopped and questioned by the NYPD. Now, if that's not racial profiling, yeah. I don't know what is. That's pretty powerful, those numbers. Yeah, I really, I'm going to save those statistics because I'd like to refer back to them. Uh, we do have another call on the line. This is... a. We'll see how this goes. It sounds interesting. We've got Carl and Jared on the line. Uh, Hopefully the audio will be good. And they have no specific topic, but they'd like to talk to us. Carl and Jared, are you there? Uh, Yes, can you hear us? Uh, I can hear one of you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jared, are you there? Uh, I am here. Oh, wow, the quality is great. So what's on your mind, gentlemen? Uh, Um, Well, I would just like to say Obama is a terrorist. And what, what makes you think that? Uh, he cannot uh, show a birth certificate. He does not live in this country, I do not believe. And uh, he did not help Islam, who is one of our allies. So I believe he is a terrorist. And Jared, any more comments from you? Uh, no, that is all I have to say. All right. Thanks for the call, gentlemen. Do appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with them. I certainly wouldn't call him a terrorist, but... No. They're entitled to their opinion, and you are entitled to yours. It's Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. Do you have a product or service that you can sell to a national audience? Free Talk Live is a nationally syndicated radio program on more than 100 radio stations coast to coast. We've been named Talkers Magazine's Heavy 100 list. That's the 100 most important radio talk shows in the nation thrice. And five times the best political podcast from podcastawards.com. You can have access to our more than 100 radio stations and our large and loyal podcast audience for less than $1,000 a month. Contact me, Mark, at freetalklive.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is uh, a live show seven nights a week, which means we're here tonight on Sunday, and this is the live edition with uh, myself, Stephanie. And me, Julia. And you, Julia. Yeah, that's right. And if you threw me off there with the way you said it, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. (laughs) Try to make it flow. Yeah. It's live radio. Uh, So if you would like to talk with us tonight, you are welcome to do so by calling 855 450 free. That's 855-450-3733. And I want to remind you that freetalklive.com has a lot of cool features. Uh, One of them is the uh, news.freetalklive.com, where you can actually uh, keep up with the latest updates on the show. You can uh, get the links to the Free Talk Live Facebook page, Twitter, uh, Google+. I think now they're on Google+. And uh, you can also get emails about the show if you'd like to keep up with everything that's going on so that you don't miss a thing. And uh, also, want to let you all know about the Free State Project. Um, I just got back from the Free State Project's Liberty Forum, so we're not going to be talking about that tonight because it's over. It won't be happening again for another year. But Pork Fest is just around the corner, the Porcupine Freedom Festival. That's going to be going on this June 18th through the 24th, I think. I see you've got a nice little mug over there. I do. And you know how I got this mug? I registered for Pork Fest at Liberty Forum. Really? Yes, yes. Actually, I think this is Ian's mug, but but oh. I have the same mug <laughs> because they were giving them away as a little um, gift 
to anybody who did early bird registration for Porkfest. So um, I think that was only available at the uh, Liberty Forum itself, but pretty soon Porkfest.com, which is P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T, very important to get the spelling right, uh, is going to be open uh, season for registration. And Porkfest is a blast. If you've never been before, mark your calendar now, make time, take the time off work, Get your reservations set at the Rogers Campground up in Lancaster, New Hampshire. You are not going to want to miss this. Last year, it was like more than 1,200 people who, um, you know, all have some degree of uh, freedom-loving attitudes, I guess. So it's really fun to be around that many people, get some fun in the sun, some relaxation, Mm. and uh, hang out in the mountains with a bunch of libertarians. (laughs) So um, 855-450-FREE, once again, is our number. I want to talk about an article that is... A little bit from like the weird news category, Julia, but it dovetails with something that we had discussed earlier tonight, which was art and like public funding of art. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I shouldn't say public because I sometimes I fall into these language right. traps. Like I'll say we went to war in Iraq. Well, no, we didn't go. The the government did. Yeah. And uh, public funding of art. Well, it's, it's really not public. Public is a euphemism for government. So it's government funded art. Well, in this case, there's some government-funded art in Wasilla, Alaska, which is the home of Sarah Palin. And apparently some people are a little pervy in Wasilla, Alaska. <laughs> and not only are they pervy, but they're they're trying to cover up their, their perviness by being prude, <laughs> prude-like on the outside. Yes. <laughs> so from the Huffington Post... Uh, Is this fodder for art class or sex education? A 12.5-foot sculpture installed on the front lawn of Wasilla High School has created a controversy in Sarah Palin's hometown. Students began joking that the artwork, which is called a sculpture called The Warrior Within and is made from stone and concrete, um, and apparently it has these two carved shields, one made of bronze, the other of aluminum, and it's surrounded by some feathers that uh, form the focal point, uh, some people say it resembles uh, the female genitalia, and that's what they're very upset about, <laughs> as you could probably but imagine. What's weird about this is it's not female genitalia. Yes, absolutely so what's not. the issue? I can think of plenty of things that I see on a regular basis that are phallic, right? Oh, skyscrapers, yeah. anything. You know, if you have a, a dirty mind, you can make anything right. into whatever you want it to be, basically. And I think that you're right, Julia, that people are really reading too much into this sculpture. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It's 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 metal colored, so it's not as though it's pink, yeah. right? And we were saying during the break that, well, if it were pink, maybe it would connote yeah. genitalia or body parts a little bit more. But it's not. It's me- It's metallic. Um, it has a little kind of like a teardrop shape, I guess, surrounded by some feathers. And I guess I could see maybe the resemblance, but it's a stretch. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I think people are a bored and b a little perverted and they're reading way too much into the sculpture Yeah, <laughs> and creating a big fuss over it. And, and there is really a big fuss. Um, it says three days after being unveiled the publicly funded work which means the government paid for it Mm -hmm. through the national endowment for the arts was covered up the principal claims it was put under wraps to protect the one hundred thousand dollar piece from vandals not to censor body talk so uh, i don't know why a school has a hundred thousand dollars to spend on art no that seems a little outrageous well i guess maybe it was because they got the grant from the government so i mean that but that just seems like you know when you're in school Art isn't typically your biggest concern, right? No. Don't, don't they say like, uh, 
isn't there some uh, architectural mantra? Like if you're building a nice building, like a hotel or maybe a lobby of a hospital or something where you really want people to feel comfortable when they walk in and to have nice art to look at, you spend 10% of the cost of the building on art. And uh, it's, I guess, like a rule of thumb. Right. And art can be pretty expensive. I mean, yes, it can get very elaborate, especially big sculptures or things that are difficult to make. And it's really cool to look at. But I mean, this $100,000 sculpture at a high school seems a little bit excessive. I don't know. And then they're just going to cover it up so nobody can even look at it because we can't have people look at thinking about vaginas. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's anarchy. Right. I mean, this is how crazy people go about anything that is, you know, even close to looking like nudity or or anything like that. Well, that's the thing. If let's say this was a sculpture of a vagina, right? Mm-hmm. And they are out there. There are some of them yes. that exist. I mean, I just I'm not offended when I see vaginas and no, penises. It's, it's, it's a part just of a the body, body part. You know, my immature side might think it's a little amusing, but <laughs> sure. and yeah, they can be depicted all kinds of ways, like very, from very clinical to very artistic and you know creative depictions. And I think people should get comfortable with it right right? everybody has these things they're everybody has all different body parts yeah and not just genitals but like you know arms and legs and heads and necks and it's it's just it's just our bodies like if we can't get comfortable with our own bodies like what hope is there for for people yeah i would actually say this this town would probably benefit from replacing this sculpture with a vagina sculpture <laughs> just to just to relieve the prudism right, a little right. bit yeah so, so we can get comfortable with ourselves <laughs> yeah there you go daily vagina exposure <laughs> well there is something to be said with uh, you know there is this idea i think which probably comes a lot from religion that you know Sex and nudity are dirty, especially when you're talking about anything to do with female sexuality. It's dirty. It's naughty. It's wrong. And I think that really contributes, like when you suppress those kind of things, when you uh, criminalize them, if you will, when you make them something that sends you to hell, people people don't stop having, um, you know, thoughts and fantasies about those kind of things. They just repress them and they tend to come out in other yeah. ways. You know what I mean? Like, I think if, if the people in Wasilla, Alaska were like basically free to, I don't know, indulge in sexual expression, how they, you know, how they were comfortable and were not feeling repressed, they would walk by this sculpture and just think, oh, it's a sculpture. Yeah. You know? it, they wouldn't have to, you know, get out their, their weird feelings in this way by just banning and covering up the sculpture. Right. And really talking about it. What do you think, art that resembles genitalia? Maybe, maybe not. Give us a call, 855-450-FREE. That's 855-450-3733. It's Free Talk Live, and there's more coming up. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office products, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Shop.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, get a great deal, and a portion of your purchase goes to benefit Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon via shop.freetalklive.com. Welcome back to Free Talk Live. 
This is the live Sunday edition with Stephanie and Julia. And you can call us at 855-450-3733. Get your thoughts on the air. I'd like to talk to you about anything that's on your mind. And uh, we've been talking about a lot of things tonight, Julia. Civil liberties, violations in New York, targeting of Muslims and you know, the kind of scapegoating of illegal immigrants, but also talking about government funding of art, which I think is an interesting discussion. Um, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, um, a lot of people think that the government has to fund things like art and science, because if they didn't, then nobody would do them. And who's going to save the starving artists? But there are a lot of sort of unintended consequences and um, controversies that are created when the government funds uh, mm-hmm. things like art. And uh, we were talking about this incident in Wasilla, Alaska, where people sort of maybe read something into a sculpture that was placed at a high school that was funded by the state. And by the way, cost $100,000. That seems was, really high. Yeah. For huge. a sculpture. Government always pays way too much for everything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, it was made out of stone and metal. It probably cost a lot to ship and transport. But $100,000, yeah, that's a lot. Well, um, I mean, if you think about starving artists, if their art was worth that much money, <laughs> they you know what I mean? Wouldn't they they would only have to sell a couple pieces and then they would be set for a long time. Absolutely. So obviously the, there's some skewed uh, pricing there. Well, that's the thing. I think that having the government fund things like art maybe encourages some people to go into art who... I hate to say it. I, I'm not trying to be cruel, but like maybe their their energy would be better spent in a different career. You know what I mean? Like maybe they're not people are not willing to pay for their art. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say they're bad artists because like who am I to judge who's a bad artist? Right. A lot of people like different things like people right. have different aesthetic values. But maybe there are some people who go into the art world because the government will fund their work who you know, could be much happier uh, and have a much easier time supporting themselves if they spent their energy elsewhere. Uh, So we actually have uh, someone who's listening on the Free Talk Live Listen line, which you can find out more about at listen.freetalklive.com. It's uh, Frederick in Michigan, and he wants to talk about the statutory code. Um, Frederick, are you with us? Yes, hi. Hi. Yeah, I heard uh, Carla the other night... uh, Discussing, Do you mean uh, Carla, the free, the president of the Free State Project? Yes, yes. She's a lawyer, right? She is a former intellectual property uh, attorney, yes. And I believe oh. she's no longer in practice. Oh, okay. Well, anyhow, she has a, a certain extent of uh, knowledge of the statutory code. Um, what's fascinating is all of the judges, uh, just like the politicians, uh, and lawyers that work in government. I, I don't know if this is true of uh, non-government lawyers, but Frederick, can I just they, stop you they, down for a moment? And could you explain what is the statutory code? Because I'm not a lawyer, and I bet no, but not too many people in our audience are. Okay, well, that would be what is euphemistically or metaphorically referred to as the uh, the legal systems law books. Ah, okay. Law books. Makes sense. Okay. And yes, there are public laws that uh, see anything that, oh gosh, have you uh, ever seen the Citizens Rule Book, the I... Bill of Rights Jury Handbook that um, mm. actually I think um, 
was uh, constructed by the Fully Informed Jury Association. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's there, there's a website you can check it out sometime. Uh, it's called Citizens with an S Book Citizensbook dot com. Okay, and the, the printer company is called Whitten W H I T T. That's Tom Tom E N. Okay, printers with an S Whittenprinters.com. Yes. So anyway, in this fascinating compilation of facts, historic, um, they describe um, a jury of peers, okay? And uh, so the jury of peers is our neighbors who know us well, our friends, okay. et cetera, okay? And the statutory legal system comes along and they summon, right, they summon people from the community. Okay, who, this would be commonly known as jury duty, right? Yes. And and so you have two systems. You have the, the statutory legal system comprised of um, code books, like the U- United States Code. Okay. Uh, yeah, Fr- Frederick, and, I just... I, I'm. I think I'm following what you're saying, but I. I just want to ask you to kind of speed up the point a little bit because we do have some other yeah, yeah. calls okay. on the line. So, Thanks. All right. So we're we're. Uh, it all comes home because I've gone into the the courts uh, to defend myself mm-hmm. uh, regarding moving violations. Okay. Uh, okay. This would be and, commonly uh, known as like driving or traffic stuff. Yeah. So um, in 1988. Uh, which is what uh, is the seminal motivation and inspiration for me. Um, a, a fella whose license had expired and registration and all that had expired. So he got pulled over and cited for those violations. And he may even have been arrested. So he went into district court and he argued that he had this uh, constitutional right uh of, of a natural right of travel, natural okay. unalienable right. Sure. Okay, so the district court judge said, well, you're crazy, dude. Uh, you know, everybody knows driving is a privilege. Okay, so the guy didn't have enough knowledge at that point to uh, differentiate commercial activity. Okay. Which is what driving actually uh, is, is uh, predicated upon. Okay. Driving the privilege of driving is to engage in commercial activity for profit. Okay. Uh, so, so Frederick, driver, one, driver, just one question, because because we're short on time, I want to ask you a question. So, were, when did you use this in court, and were you able to successfully? Yeah. yeah. So what I did, what I did, okay. is I differentiated driving uh, as this. Okay. So this uh, case, the guy appealed to the circuit court, and it happened to be a lady judge who now is in the appellate court of the state of Michigan. Okay. This lady judge uh, overruled the district court judge because she said this uh, defendant, Appellant's um, uh, license, et cetera, had expired. And because he no longer had a valid license or contract, the uh, rules and regs of the statutory code no longer applied. Okay. So everything is a contract. Everything. 
Okay. Frederick, Frederick, we got to move on. Thank you so much for the call. I do, okay. I do appreciate your calling in tonight. I had a little trouble following that, but that's okay. We've, oh, sorry, Julie. Oh. I had to read a microphone. Well, it's not very nice. Sorry, it wasn't. <laughs> um, I, I have trouble following legal. You know, I'm not very familiar with like, the legal system. I think a lot of people have trouble with that. Right. Which is what lawyers are for, right? Well... I don't think we would really need them in a world where there yes. wasn't this convoluted legal system where everything is meant to confuse the normal layperson, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, one thing, the, here's the one thing I took away from his uh, call, which actually has nothing to do with what he called about, but when he okay. gave us the definition of statutory. Okay. Or statutes, I guess. Yeah, the, the law books. The I uh, instantly just thought of books. statutory rape, and I couldn't yeah. help but think that. So the definition of that basically is like legal rape, right? Yes. Like legally, we call this rape. Yes, but it may not be non-consensual right. sex between two people. I right. realize that it has nothing to do with what he called about, but that, that was my no, train it's of a thought good point during to bring that up. call. I actually thought that's what he was going to yeah, bring up. Yeah, that, that's kind of why I was thinking about it, I think. All right, you learn something new every night on Free Talk Live. Uh, it is Free Talk Live. You can call us at 855-450-FREE. You really can bring up anything on the show. Yes. <laughs> and we'll be back with more coming up for the final segment of the show. So you better make your calls quick. 855-450-FREE. It's Free Talk Live. We wouldn't be where we are without our amplifiers. Their $3 per month helps us spread Free Talk Live and gets them access to perks at amp.freetalklive.com. Welcome back to Free Talk Live. We are just kicking off the final segment of the show, but you can always find us online at freetalklive.com. We do a live show seven nights a week, so there's always something there for your entertainment. I am Stephanie. And I'm Julia. And you can call us if you call quick at 855-450-FREE to get your thoughts in on anything we've been discussing tonight. Anything from government funding of art to racial profiling of Muslims and other uh, racial minorities, perhaps, the NYPD uh, spying on Muslim student groups, or anything else that's on your mind, but you got to make your call quick, 855-450-FREE. Let's talk to Matt in New Jersey. He wants to talk about a horror convention. Matt, are you with us? Hi, how are you? I'm here. Hi. So what's on your mind? Well, uh, i got a horror convention in uh, two weeks, March 9th. Um, there's going to be celebrities there. There's going to be vendors. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so uh, what are you most looking forward to about this horror convention? Well, I'm gonna, first of all, we're going to meet um, one of my heroes, Robert England, Freddy Krueger. That sounds like fun. Um, and what else? What else do you do at a horror convention? Do you just watch movies and and like learn about well, books and stuff? Well, you can watch movies there. You can you meet uh, celebrities. You make friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you can drink. There's a lot of things you can do there. You can drink, yeah, I bet you can drink. <laughs> so do you think that there's some um, some overlap with maybe uh, like other types of conventions like, uh, I don't know, Comic-Con? Like what are some of the big big conventions like the, the uh, I, I want to say nerd conventions, but that's kind of a mean way to put it. <laughs> well, well, the Star Trek-y conventions and the Comic-Cons, they're, they're yes. a lot different than this. Mm-hmm. It's more of like underground. Okay. Um, it's it's so cool you haven't heard of it yet, right? <laughs> Well, the, well, 
Well, let me put it out there. This this convention is called Monster Mania. It's okay. in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Okay. A lot of people to go. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Was that all you so, had to say, Matt? Um, let me just put something out there. Um, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, that's it. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the call, Matt. And I hope the convention goes well. <laughs> I've never been to a horror. I can, I, you know, I don't like scary movies, actually. I, I always feel really self-conscious, like I have to enunciate horror. Yeah. Because you know, I don't want to, people to think it's a different kind of convention right. if I don't enunciate well. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of conventions, Julia, this was maybe something that, that we thought about discussing tonight. We just had the Free State Project's Liberty Forum. Mm-hmm. It was a big convention. There were lots of people there. And uh, by the way, if you have any thoughts you want to get in right before the end of the show, 855-450-FREE. I want to give the number out one more time. But, uh, you know, sometimes uh, libertarians are, let's just say, not known for their social skills. Have you experienced this, yes. Julia? Yes, I have. Yeah. And I mean, I I like to speculate about why that is. I'm kind of fascinated by the topic. I, the theory I've sort of settled on is that, you know, maybe people who are who are always kind of outside the box thinkers uh, don't aren't, you know, are kind of marginalized from a very young age and they don't really make a lot of the friends and they don't get a chance to develop some of those social skills that um, maybe some other people do. Yeah. What do you think about that? I have no idea why. And I mean, it's not to say it's everybody, but mm-hmm. they're, uh, no, they're it's defi- not everybody. definitely are some sort of standoffish people that I've met at, and kind of aw- socially awkward people yeah. that I've met. I wouldn't yeah. really know how to describe it other than that, but it's just like maybe they're not used to socializing with large groups of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that could definitely be something that's going on kind of below the surface. I feel like sometimes I see these things happening and it's it's painful to witness. Yeah. You know, like you said that the first time you went to the Porcupine Freedom yes. Festival, you had an experience. You want to I talk did, about? actually. Uh, I had a free stater burp in my face. Like, <laughs> I mean, really in my face, not just like burped and I happened to be close by. Wow. Turned his head while we were walking, looked at me and belched really loudly in my face. Wow. Is he trying to say he likes you or something? I could not were understand. You sca- were you scared about that? Cuz I would I be was little... kind of grossed out, yeah. kind of ir- like mad almost just because it was like, are you serious? Yeah. I mean, did you really just turn I've never had any I've never seen that happen before. It's very rude, I think most people would agree. So, yeah. Absolutely. It was very weird. I would love to talk more about this topic. However, we do have some calls coming in. I'm going to try to squeeze both of them in before the end of the show. Mike in New York wants to talk about government protection. Mike, are you with us? Mike in New York, are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. What's on your mind? Oh, good. good. I Somebody called in earlier with the, um, they said they needed government's uh, main function was to protect them. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I was just surfing the internet. They had... In the 19th century, 260 million people were murdered by government. Yeah, that's a good um, statistic to bring up. So so you think that that idea, you know, the the idea that government protects you is kind of a fallacy? Well, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's much more, you know, much more likely to kill you than to protect, protect you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we could also bring out the statistic that I've seen floating around. I don't know where this comes from off the top of my head, but, you know, that someone is eight times more likely to be killed by a police officer in the U.S. than by a terrorist attack. 
And uh, of course, there's a Supreme Court case that said basically that government has no obligation to protect you. Uh, there was a case where a woman called 911 because she was in a house where she was being attacked uh, multiple times. And I think she was actually raped. And uh, the 911 calls, like, they didn't respond. She actually called 911 twice and asked for some cops to come, and they didn't come. And the Supreme Court ruled that that's okay because the cops have no obligation to protect you. I actually uh, found an article a while back that I never ended up reading on the air, and it was about a police officer in some big city, I want to say maybe Philadelphia or somewhere like that. But uh, he had tried to save a boy's life like a little boy i think was choking or something like that and uh-huh. he tried desperately to save this little boy's life and the city actually came out and said that is not your job wow like oh public statement don't try to save people wow yeah that's so sad because yeah. there are so many things like when someone goes into cardiac arrest you know they could get cpr and, and be saved and Wow, we can't rely on the state to save our lives no. any more than we can rely well, on them to protect us. Well, if public officials exist, shouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, shouldn't that be there? Shouldn't <laughs> that be should part of their duty, right? Yeah, because the, that's sort of the claim is that they're there looking out for us. Yeah, it, it has gotten so far from that original mission, if that ever was the goal in the first yeah. place. Mike, thank you so much for the call. That's a really good insight. And uh, I'm going to try to squeeze in Brian in Colorado, who wants to talk about driver's licenses. Brian, are you with us? Yes, I sure am. Hi. Uh, first time listener here. Oh, great. Uh, I just happened to turn into it tonight. Uh, that caller a while ago had a question or trying to ex- explanation about the driver license deal. Uh, yeah, sure. It was a little hard to follow what he was saying, but uh, do your best. We, you've got about two minutes left. Well, my son's in the same situation. Okay. Uh, and I didn't know where I should try to look for that information myself. Okay. And did you try to look for it, or you would you would uh, like to know? I just heard it. I just like to know. I just heard it five minutes ago. I see. Yeah, I don't really have any resources to point you to, but I can tell you that you know what he was saying. I think was that there is the, these basically these things that you can say in court, and you can show somehow that you're not really driving. You are operating a vehicle in a commercial. Yeah code or something like I've that. I've heard so many it's variations. Non, non-commercial code. Non-commercial, excuse me. See, the, yeah, I'm, I'm not terribly knowledgeable about I, this, I, but... I drive a big truck. <laughs> I, I got the gist mm-hmm. of it, but I wasn't sure where to go to follow through with it. Sure. Um, yeah, There. I mean, so that theory, we've had attorneys call into this show before and say that that theory is kind of based on this... Uh, uh, what is the word? Arcane or outdated uh, case law, like from before there actually were driver's licenses. And it really doesn't work if you try to use it in court. Yeah. And I'm of the opinion, right. based on the evidence that I've seen, I've, I've never seen like a video of somebody using this successfully. And so and I tend to believe that judges and, you know, prosecutors will kind of just find a way if they if they want to get you for something, they'll kind of just do what they want. Right. They, they might just throw you in jail anyway. There's not much you can I, say about it. So, yeah, go ahead, I Brian. deal with DOT all the time. Yes, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Department yes. of Transportation for Trucking. Yes. Uh, and so, if it's a, mm-hmm. an old 1800 law that never has been taken off the books, they will go back to that if they so choose to. Yeah, or they'll say that there's some current law that invalidates everything you've said, or they'll just throw you in court for uh, in jail for contempt. 
So, I mean, I, I think it's probably not something I would choose my time to spend. Uh, re- I would choose to spend my time researching. And Brian, thank you so much for calling. Uh, we're at the end of the show, but hope you continue to listen. And I do appreciate hearing from you tonight. It's been Stephanie. And Julia. And we thank you for listening to Free Talk Live. Go to freetalklive.com and you can check out all the archives for your listening pleasure. Hope you have a great week. <laughs> 